Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dustin. So we have some follow-up regarding the comet extinction event. Trevor, I believe you added this. Did I add this? It's been so long. Uh, Trello says you added it, and I do not remember adding it. I added it. Okay, so then it's it's my follow-up. Um... Whenever we recorded and talked about the comet killing the dinosaurs, I believe that was in episode 38, 38, where we were discussing the article that says that we probably don't appreciate dinosaurs nearly enough. I believe I said that um, the candidates for the extinction event were either like an asteroid or a meteorite. But then after recording, I came across a book that I thought I might want to read. And in the book description, it talked about a comet killing the dinosaurs. So apparently this is a thing that I just wasn't aware of. And I'm clarifying that I misspoke. Okay. I too misspoke. I mentioned that I had never thought about, I had never realized that comets and asteroids orbited the sun. And I really just meant comets because I know about asteroid belts. And I just want to clarify that, even though it only makes me sound slightly less, I don't know. I realized that asteroid belts exist. And I think that I thought of comets as like rogue asteroids. Anyway. Yeah. Not that that really matters. I just feel slightly vindicated if I make that distinction. (laughs) Which, I don't know. I feel like they're kind of rogue in that they just have really elliptical orbits that cause problems because it crosses other orbital paths. Yeah, that makes sense. This week's Fin Fact is brought to us by listener Stephen, who tweeted us um, a link to another tweet by Amazing Maps at amazing underscore maps. And it is a map of every public sauna in, I'm sorry, sauna in Finland. And this is more of a visual thing. So you should click on the link in the show notes to see the map that we're discussing, but it's shocking how many public saunas there are and good gravy. Also impressive. Whenever you look up North where you would think most there wouldn't be nearly as dense a population. There's still, a hefty number of public saunas, especially on that the border of uh, Finland and Russia there. So maybe the, the saunas are like the guard posts. It looks like they're getting ready to defend a territory and risk or something. Actually. The way they're watching that border. As I was, I was joking, the, the saunas are guard posts, but they might be military checkpoints or something. I don't know, pu- uh, border security and each... <laughs> Uh, outpost has a sauna for the record it's estimated there are two million saunas in finland which i'm guessing that accounts both public and private but that's between a population of oh, yeah. 5.3 million so if everyone if all saunas were packed at the same time you could pretty much it'd still be pretty comfy because there'd only be like two to three people in each one am i looking at this wrong or are there areas where these red pins in the map are clustered so tightly that they're just like turning into black blurs 
you are not looking at it wrong. <laughs> that is indeed the case. Huh. Yeah, they're overlapping so much that. <laughs> okay. But that's, I mean, that's probably close to population centers. Yeah. Well, if you want to look at the show notes to follow the link to see this map, you can find the show notes at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 39. And that will have all of the links for this episode. Uh, next up, Trevor shared a disturbing uh, news article with us. Trevor, would you like to explain? <sighs> Exclusive. Future, a Star Wars story spinoffs on hold at Lucasfilm. Um, basically, Disney doesn't think they made enough money. Well, and maybe Lucasfilm. I don't know who decided this, but word is that they don't think Solo made enough money. And so they have all of the other anthology movies on hold for now. So hopefully this is just a temporary thing as they kind of think things through. But um, I don't know. We just don't know right now. Um, They had been working. They'd recently announced that they were doing a Boba Fett movie. And there was talk that an Obi-Wan movie was in very early development. So I guess my main thought here is if they were actually going to do an Obi-Wan movie with Ewan McGregor, I hope this doesn't delay them enough that that doesn't work anymore. Because they really need to do an Obi-Wan movie with Ian McGregor. If they if he like dies untimely because after in this inter period of waiting for them to figure this whole thing out, I will be upset. Yeah. How old is he? He said untimely. Oh, you're not thinking okay, never mind. I said untimely, yeah. I'm sorry. I I missed the word untimely. I think Trevor's point too was though he might age out of the appropriate window that they're looking for to which it would be maybe more likely. And as Bill Nye once told us, age out is just a euphemism for dying. So <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> oh man. That was when he spoke at a local university and we went to see him. Did you guys have any further thoughts on star Wars spinoffs being on hold at Lucasfilm? I just, I don't know. I'm a little bit sad about this because those are the movies that I'm more excited about. And it seems like it's a knee jerk reaction that it's an overreaction in my opinion, but yeah, that's, that's a good take. Um, cause rogue one was by far my favorite of the four new movies. Solo was fine. And the, the other two had issues. I mean, I don't want to be grouped in with the last Jedi haters. I did like the last Jedi, although I think it had issues and uh, I just didn't say this much, but yes, this, the, although solo wasn't great by any means, I think the, um, the standalone movies have a lot more potential to be really great in surprising ways. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's almost like they decided to just stop taking risks. Yeah. That's a yeah, good take. It's probably not helped by the fact that Solo had all of the reshooting and extra budget going into it from that. Yeah, yeah, that did make it more expensive. Well, and in the article they note that it shared, it came out fairly close to Infinity War. I mean, it wasn't super close, but 
within weeks of Infinity War. I think so. its proximity to Deadpool hurt it more. Really? Yeah. Because Deadpool was only on like its second week or something. Deadpool 2. Um, yeah. I One reason it bugs me is that uh, if you look at like the MCU, the first one was Iron Man and it did great. The next one, I guess, Iron Man 2. Did that one do well financially still? It did well enough. It wasn't considered as good as the other one, but it okay. did well enough. So I, I won't. Uh, my own prejudice says that that was a flop, but I guess it wasn't actually. Oh, no. Technically, the next one was Hulk. Uh, chronologically, but. Oh, no. Hulk did come. Hulk came out later in the summer from Iron Man, and then Iron Man 2 came after, came two years later. Okay, so Iron Man 2 was chronologically first, but release-wise later. Well, to be clear, it's The Incredible Hulk. Yes, The Incredible Hulk, not Angley's Hulk. Um, so yes, The Incredible Hulk, second movie in the franchise. It was a terrible movie, and I don't think it did well financially. I could be wrong. And um, I think it was one of those where it maybe made back its budget, and that's they were fine with that. Yeah, and they didn't cancel the MCU because of that. I think, yeah. I see the comparison. I think it's, I don't know. It's a little different, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Well, I I feel like it's a decent comparison because if anything, with it being only the second one, if we're remembering the order right, I've got this nagging feeling. It might be the third one, but I'll I'll go with second. Only the second one, and they kept going. But with Star Wars... We're looking at the fourth one in the the new block of movies, and they're suddenly talking about dialing back. Although I guess it is the second of the spinoffs. So it, I think some of it had to do with the fact that those two movies were not exactly the same studio, and that they were released really close to each other. Like, uh, I think it came out like a month and a half after, if that, after Iron Man. So it was. And Iron Man was such an unexpected, like, big hit that kind of overshadowed the Hulk to any degree. So it was not even in the conversation in a way. What are you talking about different studios? It wasn't uh, completely done. I think it was done by Universal. Like, it's part of the MCU, but it's not like... It was not Marvel Studios doing it. I thought it was. I think it was produced by it. Uh, produced by Marvel Studios, distributed by Universal. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. I don't think it was 100% like Marvel controlling it is more my point. So it's viewed okay. as a weird half half in, half out, like Venn diagram thing. Oh, uh, okay. I, I guess that makes sense. So it wasn't... Yeah, if there's some separation, I guess I can see. And like they were already both done by the... I don't know. I guess that's kind of like the, the proximity helps overshadow of a big success. Like... Pretend you release Solo right like a month and a half after uh, The Force Awakens. I think people would be still talking way too much about The Force Awakens and like would gloss over Solo if you wanted a complete comparison. Okay. But I understand what you're saying. It's more what I was saying. I mean, I'm just kind of projecting my own frustrations and finding various ways to be annoyed by what's happening. A good policy. Anyway, I want more standalone movies, so let's see. Boo, get your acts together, Lucasfilm. Don't worry, you'll get sequel after sequel directed by J.J. J. Abrams. 
<laughs> your heart's, well, I mean, what more could you want? Yeah. We've taken all your criticisms to heart and we have decided to do a new trilogy of trilogies featuring J.J. Abrams. <laughs> every other every other movie will be directed by the people who made Game of Thrones. <laughs> also, we nerfed fusion rifles. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Speaking the, of that, uh, how is... one good piece of Star Wars news I can give is that I haven't heard anybody mention Quentin Tarantino in relation to Star Wars lately. So I'm hoping that that was actually not a thing that anybody was talking about. That probably killed that. It was never about Star Wars. Hmm? It was never a Star Wars thing, was it? Was I it? Thought it? I thought. Or are you are you rubbing salt in the wound? No, I think there was a thing about like. Oh, was that a Star Trek thing? It was Star Trek. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Sorry. I was thinking it was a Star Wars thing. I thought you were boasting. Like the, uh, a piece of good news about Star Wars is that it's not Star Trek. No. <laughs> no, I was just mixing things up. I think I was conflating it because of the the part about the Game of Thrones people doing Star Wars. So I was just thinking like generally people wanting an R-rated Star Wars thing and it kind of all blurred together after that. Gotcha. Well, and don't forget that Neil deGrasse Tyson already told us that Star Trek is infinitely superior. Because it's more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to something less contentious. <laughs> you said that we nerfed fusion rifles. So how is Destiny going? You want to take this one, Matthew? I was about to say, hey, Trevor, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> that great? When did we last uh, complain? It's been a while. I haven't asked in a while. Okay, so there have been two DLCs so far for Destiny 2. There was one with uh, Osiris. Oh yeah, Osiris. I was like, man, I don't even care enough to remember. Okay, so Osiris with Anara as a ghost. With Anara <laughs> as a ghost, that was cool. Um, but it was kind of underwhelming. They took some big, promising story stuff and then broke it down into something not very exciting. And I think after that point, we were both at the thing of like, I hope they don't address any characters we're curious about. Yeah that have been like hinted at in lore stuff because I, we didn't trust them at that point to not just completely waste it. Mm. And so for the second DLC, they took one of the most promising characters from the lore, Rasputin, the war mind and, uh, called the second DLC, the war mind or war mind. What was it? War mind, the war mind, war mind, war mind. So yeah, uh, so it's going to be about Rasputin. We didn't know what they were going to do with him. Um, uh, yeah, we were both really nervous going into it because we didn't know if they were going to like suddenly make him a bad guy, even though he was clearly our friend in the last game, um, or at least a benevolent thing that was way more powerful than us. Oh, but you found out you never actually met the real Warmind. Yeah. The, the thing yeah. on Earth was just like a what? Uh, copy they basically said when you talked with all the times that you talked with Rasputin before those were just fragments of him that had been left behind on earth so it's like you were talking with like a little piece of his mind or something that had been like like an AI cast off or something like I don't know like some little computer module that still was bearing his personality or something um anyway so we made contact with Rasputin for the first time 
And then fought like a sandworm, I guess. Oh, it was a hive god. Oh, it was a hive god, but also kind of a sandworm, like from Dune. Really? All their gods are worms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it felt like they were kind of underusing Rasputin there, but thankfully they didn't go too far with it and left a lot open for the future. Like they didn't, they didn't have us kill him or anything. They didn't have us kill him. He's still around and he was still friendly, although there was debate over whether or not he could be trusted. Hmm. So that didn't feel great either. I brought Anna Bray back as well. Um, one of the Clovis Bray scientists, but she's a guardian, I guess. I thought I, I was a little confused. I thought she was a scientist. Now she's a guardian. I guess she became a guardian. I don't know. I think she died. Like when you, that was the whole thing. Like you die as a person and then you get brought back as a guardian and you're not supposed to seek out your old life. And she did. Oh, so she was the scientist was resurrected as a guardian and realized she was Anna Bray. Got it. How does she remember her sister? I don't know. She did. She's still an inquiring scientist mindset. Like she'd still be the same personality. So she probably okay. just researched. Okay. Well, I'm not complaining too much because she gave me a nice, uh, she gave me a nice auto rifle. So all's forgiven. Um, I didn't dislike what they did with Rasputin in that they made him, they still kind of kept him mysterious. Yeah. My biggest fear was that they would demystify him, say he turned evil and then have us kill him in like five minutes, even though he is a war mind who controls a bunch of war sats and could rain fire down on every planet in the solar system. And like, I mean, this, this is a computer that is, powerful enough and well-equipped enough to wipe out all life in the solar system. I did not want to defeat him in a 10 minute strike. (laughs) (laughs) And he did, it did end with him saying in Anna Bray translating from Russian that he was like, I'm going to basically do my own thing. I'm not beholden to you at all. And I'm going to protect this system. So he's clearly on the side of protecting humanity and earth. Yeah. But also made it clear that he would, if that put him at odds with you, then so be it. There are some interesting theories about Rasputin and the Traveler that didn't really get explored at all, which I'm okay with. But um, throughout the first game, the Traveler is immobilized, asleep or dead, just kind of floating over Earth. Um, for those who haven't played Destiny, the Traveler is a benevolent big white ball that gives us uh, space magic powers and ghosts that can resurrect us. and But it also inspires like devotion, technological development or something. Oh, technological development. I was going to say devotion, but yeah, <laughs> that too. Oh, and, and human lifespan triples and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, there. yeah. So he's kind of like a, a space monolith in a way. Yeah. It's like a space yeah. monolith, but a little more with with things that turn out to work well in video games. <laughs> um, and the darkness comes to like fight the traveler or something. The traveler defends humanity, but then it's really unclear what happened and why the traveler is immobilized. They say that it gave its life to save humanity or something, but I, I had seen some interesting theories about how maybe Rasputin, maybe the traveler was going to run and Rasputin had, disabled it so that it would be forced to stay and protect humanity. Well, I think it showed, yeah, that based on the end of the 
second campaign, I guess, where you see, because the Traveler woke up, the vagueness of the darkness also woke up and started heading for Earth. So yeah, knocking the Traveler unconscious, like Rasputin probably figured out knocking that unconscious or whatever, the equivalent of the monolith being unconscious is, helps protect humanity by not causing an antagonistic force to fall upon it. Yeah, all that to say, I really liked the theories revolving around Rasputin actually shooting down the Traveler. <laughs> um, I thought that was an interesting way, because they, um, I mean, the Traveler is supposed to be like a god almost, but Rasputin is just like, an automated defense system. Um, I don't know. The there's there's so much potential in the lore, so I just hope they don't waste it. Should we tell Dustin about what the um, planned expansion major story detail is? Uh, yeah. So okay, what we've described so far is just like where Destiny Two is now, and we're kind of where do you feel like we are in terms of like like right now where the game is gameplay quality of life replayability um it still has some stuff but like uh, some of the biggest issues um are in theory getting addressed in september yeah and they've been chipping away at the quality of life stuff but um by chipping away you mean improving it slowly not like improving slowly yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Oh, well, this was too usable. Let's redo the UI. <laughs> They've been shipping away at the quality of life problems, I should say. Um, so things have been getting a little better, but there have been some missteps with the stories as we described in the DLCs. So that brings us now to they recently made announcements. Was the announcement at E3? They announced um, like some of the basic stuff like the name and that there was an expansion and stuff before then, but they dropped the story trailer that had the thing I was specifically mentioning. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. They had said like, okay, you're going back to the reef type thing. Um, And they dropped the story trailer, which shows that you'd kind of figured it out from stuff in destiny Two, but the queen's brother was alive from the, uh, the queen of the reef who, died ostensibly died in the taken king um her brother's alive but it just showed him with like a house of fallen behind him and he shoots Cade in the face oh interesting i think he specifically kills Cade's ghost and then kills Cade. yeah oh so Cade's dead so it's like it's a huge spoiler but like that's what they want everybody to know because it's all about marketing i guess so well and Everyone likes Cade. And my guess is he just gets rebooted as Cade 7, but... They have been insisting that he is dead, dead. <sighs> sure, okay. But, I I mean, we've talked about this before with, like, some of the stuff about, like, directors lying about movies and stuff. It's not Khan. No, he's not Khan. Yeah. Is <laughs> so Khan. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they can say, yes, Cade 6 is really gone for good, but we weren't talking about Cade 7. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if he shoots the ghost, does that mean that that means he can't resurrect? Yeah. Right. Immediately. But at all, but because he is an exo, he could, they could build Uh, a new exo body for him. Yes. Um, move his mind into that and resurrect him that way. 
And who knows, he might even get a new ghost or something. Unless there was a bullet in the brain pan squish. Uh, there's got to be backups. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope Exos back themselves up. I hope I have a backup somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, they, they, I don't know. They just hit that story beat so strong that in a way it's like, there's no way that's final, that they're not going to. Yeah somehow it's kind of like maybe it's just that nathan fillion's done he doesn't want to do it anymore they love nathan fillion though (laughs) yeah they love him but maybe he maybe it's not a two-way relationship um he did note uh, i did read that apparently after and this this is what makes it seem theatrical more so than a real thing like the day or two after that trailer dropped he unfollowed bungie on twitter (laughs) 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 okay Maybe he's not done. <laughs> so maybe that's how he found out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, have there been any new raids or anything? No, they like that. Any interesting exotic weapons? Um, no. They reworked some of them that are interesting, but it was more like they were underwhelming at first, and they've been. Ah. There's one called the Graviton Lance that is a lot of fun. I find. Is it actually? Is it a sword or? Um, it's a pulse rifle, okay. but it fires black holes. Ooh, fun. And if you kill someone with it, they blow up into like seeking void orbs and take out nearby people. Hmm. I thought it was just a pulse rifle. Did I say, what did I say? A pulse rifle that fires black holes. Yeah, it's a pulse rifle. That shoots black holes and turns people into the things and it just sounds like. Yeah, they buffed it. Oh, okay. Have you not seen it since they buffed it like in May or something? So when you say they buffed it, you mean they made it like they changed things about it to make it actually interesting. Yes. Not just like made it cause 0.02 more damage or something. This is why Dead Orbit won, Trevor, because the catalyst to make it a masterwork is tied to Dead Orbit. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have faction rallies now, like one week competitions between all the factions, which is kind of a cool idea, but I'm not crazy about the way they're doing them. Anyway... I I honestly have used very few exotic weapons. Hmm. Uh, There's only one, there's only maybe two hunter exotics worth using. There's one called, um, I don't even know what they're called because I never change them. They're they're just my pants. Um, (laughs) Orpheus rig? Yeah. The the pants with the quiver on them. Um, (laughs) They, the shadow shot, thing that I use the where I shoot a bone arrow that makes like a black hole with like tentacles mm-hmm. to grab people. Oh, and now they're putting in bows and arrow boat bow. bow oh yeah. Arrows. So the, the pants make it so that whenever um, a tether from my shadow shot, wait, no, sorry. The shadow shot is when I actually shoot it. What's the anchor called? The, like the ball, the void well or something. I don't know. Maybe that's the shadow shot. I don't know. There's too many, too many pronouns here just Um, all at shadow shot okay so i shoot the shadow shot shadow shot ball is sitting there and then the tethers go out and grab people and like immobilize them and then share damage between all of them that's that's all normal but these pants that i wear each time a tether grabs somebody it gives back a certain amount of my super juice so (laughs) sorry is that what it's called the Um, my super bar my super recharges itself when people get tethered so if, if there's a bunch of people standing together, a bunch of enemies, and I shoot a tether into them, they all get tethered, I get my super pack immediately. Nice. 
And with some public events, I can use my tether like 12 times <laughs> in the space of three minutes. It's really nice. And it just keeps recharging itself. And it's, it's really nice. Yeah. And that makes it the only exotic worth using at all on a hunter. Hmm. And if you're thinking for that class, and if you're, I was about to say, if you're thinking sure for that subclass, I maintain it is the only exotic worth using as a hunter <laughs> because no other hunter subclass is worth using anymore. People do seem to like the, um, what's the beaky one, the celestial nighthawk for like bosses and raids and stuff. Yeah, I guess I have heard people say that Celestial Nighthawk is good if you use the precision damage node on the gunslinger and then like manage to get a critical shot with that one shot with Celestial Nighthawk and there's a burn. I don't know. I haven't really used that much. Um, I stick with the tether stuff for PvE and then when I'm playing PvP, I'll switch to either um, Pole Dancer or Gunslinger and um, I'll put on the knucklehead radar, which keeps my radar up when I'm zooming, when I'm aiming down sights. So that I do use that exotic for crucible stuff. I am very jealous of that one. And the reason I'm saying pole dancer is because they replaced blade dancer. It's like exactly the same thing, except instead of knives, I have a pole. So I'm sorry. Did they not that's fit? how my brain fills that in. It's oh, the pole dancer. Okay. It's there's the blade dancer, and then there's a pole dancer. It's like a bow staff or something. I don't. I can't. What's it called? It's. Um, I just see people say pole dancer all the time. So I don't. I don't even know what it's called. Arc it's, it's the electric maybe? bow staff guy, Arc Strider. That's it. I don't know why, but yeah, it's Arc Strider. Do you feel like Aragorn? It has nothing to do with Aragorn. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with him. Ar- can you imagine Aragorn running around with a bow staff and crackling with electricity? No, that would be ridiculous. I can't even imagine like Gandalf doing that, <laughs> and he has a staff. I can imagine Saruman doing it, and then Gandalf being like, Saruman, you're even more annoying than usual right now. <laughs> I have a hard time imagining anyone being quite that sensual in The Lord of the Rings, but we'll see once the new Amazon show hit. No. Um, oh, jeez. Sensual? Just with the pole dancing. So. It's just it's just an electric stick that you hit people with. <laughs> um. Anyway, Dustin, you also asked about raids, and if there were new raids. They took the um tack this time that they introduce a raid when the game came out and then with each expansion they have done a raid lair which is like an ex- a tiny expansion on the raid oh. that has like a mini boss thing that's interesting so it's not really a raid it's like a branch off of the main raid to make like a little raid tree is it like just a lost sector within the raid <laughs> um no they're raid level difficult like you have to be okay. coordinated and stuff, but time-wise, it's much. They're much shorter than the raid. I, having not played these, I'm going by what I've seen. Okay, I haven't played the raids at all in Destiny Two. Well, you mean the raid? Raid, yeah. Because <laughs> like, okay, so Destiny, the first game, I got sucked into the raids because you know I'm just going around on Venus and I see people trying to get into the Vault of Glass. And that really hooked me, just seeing the groups trying to get in there, maybe chipping and helping them out, and then kind of just wanting to go in myself. But there's no... I feel like that added a lot, the fact that the entry area was in a patrol area. So mm-hmm. like you could see it from the patrol area, and you could help people. You could even just like jump in with them. But You, you can technically see it from a patrol area. Really? 
If you land on Nessus, it's trying to eat Nessus. Oh, you can. It's in the skybox. Yeah, you can technically see it, but yeah. you have to select a different node on the map to go to it. Like in some of the early promotional stuff for Destiny, when they said if you can see it, you can go there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that's that's different. You can't go up and help people shoot minotaurs to get inside. No. But you can land on it and get pretty far into it before like anything activates, so you can at least explore the front part like I have done, but it's lonely. I haven't even done that. I don't know if I even thought about that. We should do it. Um we could do that. Mercury is like the worst patrol area ever because you it's can't use a sparrow. Small enough to be annoying. Like it's small enough to not really have enough interesting stuff to do. It's big enough to be annoying that you don't have a sparrow. And then there's only one public event and it takes forever between them when you're trying to do a flashpoint or something. And like you need public events just to like get your percentage thing done. But yeah, you can tell they really rushed that zone. Yeah. So I don't know if Mars is any better because I haven't spent much time there. It seems like it's focused on these, uh, what do they call them? Escalation protocols, um, which are basically just weird wave-based public event things that people seem excited about, but again, seem kind of inaccessible. It's because they set the the base light level for it at 370. (laughs) Which is too high, if anybody's wondering about a reference point. Yeah, and people were like, oh, it's difficult and not everyone can do it. This appeals to me as an elitist. (laughs) Yeah, so it's great for elitists, I guess. But I I feel like there's less... And less for me in the game, to be honest. Um, and so now, okay, so there's the Forsaken DLC, which the whole selling point around that is Cade dies and Aldrin comes back as a jerk. Um, and then there's what, like three, what was the other thing they were selling? Oh, they're selling like a, that was the thing that was dumb. I mean, dumber than usual was like, you can buy the expansion and then they're like oh well you can buy this um i don't remember what they called it basically like a season pass for year two where they're like every three months will be like a little expansion they didn't even want to say expansion they'll be like a little content drop that you get this premium content for buying this and they told you a name and that was it for each of those and they're like anyway buy all our play sets and toys (laughs) it's 80 dollars or something I'm I'm extremely skeptical about this season pass because I can fully imagine it being just a bunch of Eververse stuff. Like and Eververse, again, for the people who haven't played Destiny, Eververse is the place where they just like sell stuff. So like you could spend real money and buy some shaders or a helmet or something. Um you don't have to use that stuff to play the game, but I'm worried that the season pass stuff is basically going to be that kind of stuff where it's just like, here's some new armor sets that don't really matter. At least shaders are going back to a semi unlocked system. Yeah. But I'm, I just don't have any faith that the, what is it? 30 bucks for the season pass is actually going to be buying anything. I feel like I could get to the end of the year and be like, I gave you 30 bucks and I don't feel like I got anything for it. Yeah. I mean, there's so little information. I don't think anyone should go do that right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm i really kind of on the fence with Destiny right now because um, my Xbox Gold always has to be renewed in January. Editor's note, I meant July. That's 
around 50 bucks, maybe a few bucks off if I find a deal somewhere. Um, well, I mean, then, it's $60 now, so if you paid it straight. Oh, yeah, yeah, 60 bucks. Um, so anywhere from 45 to 60 um, if I can find a good deal. And then Forsaken is 40 bucks, and the season pass is 30 bucks. So it's like, do I really need to keep buying all this Destiny stuff, or should I just go and play some of the games that I have that I haven't really finished yet? Like, I, I'm almost wondering if I should just catch up on some of the old stuff. Because, like, I still haven't finished Mass Effect 3. I've got Andromeda. I don't know. You might not really miss anything. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I could at least wait until Forsaken comes out and see if people are actually liking it. It feels like so much of this they thought would sink into the whole, like, well, people want to raid and do the raid. So I'm worried that that would be, like, the predominant driving factor of year two would be, like, go do this new raid. Yeah. Which... Yeah. They seem to be making more and more technically demanding and everything. Yeah. Which just makes it harder to do if you aren't, if you are employed and are busy doing things. Yeah. The past couple of weeks, I actually started playing a new game. Um, yeah. It was on sale for $6 and I thought, why not? It is Tomb Raider. Like one of the new ones? Yeah. The, the first of the new ones. So there's, I guess... Um, I think I was looking at EA stuff, editor's note, I meant E3 stuff when I saw the trailer for, I think what's the third of like the new ones since they kind of rebooted the series. And then I was looking at the store and I saw that the second, the first and second one were on sale for like six and $18. The the first one for six and the second one for 18. And I thought, is that rise of it's, it's Tomb Raider and then rise of the Tomb Raider. And then the third one is shadow of the Tomb Raider. I think. I think I might have the first one when it was a free games with gold and it's just sitting in my okay. thing. Well, and I think was that originally a 360 game? It might have been one of those ones they did it for both. I don't recall. Okay. I think it um my impression was that it might have been a 360 game and I got like a remastered one cuz it it looks really good. Um like it does not look like 360 graphics and it's it's interesting cuz it's like surprisingly cinematic even the gameplay elements there are parts where it almost feels like an interactive movie rather than like i'm in a video game Hmm. um but i I had heard that the first one had gotten really good reviews and people were saying like this is actually a really good game it's not just like an exploitation thing with lara croft like some of the older ones um it's not got like the the same issues where I don't know. I mean, you guys know the, the issues with the old ones. I, I never knew much about those games except they were controversial because of the way Lara Croft looked mm-hmm. and what I was hearing, what I had heard about the new, the rebooted series was that that was not really an issue anymore. And she was actually a developed character who looked like a real person. Um, I mean, she still looks like a person who would be in a movie or a video game, but she's not like unrealistic and scantily clad or anything. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of, it's interesting. I'm not real far in it, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying it there. It's, it's very cinematic. I am interested. The story is kind of mysterious and I don't really know what's happening and I'm interested in figuring it out. So it is, it definitely has a strong, 
Indiana Jones kind of vibe to it. I feel like if you did it right, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Indiana Jones vibe, but it also have either of you watched any of the James Bond movies? No, I've seen a few. Okay. I've seen a couple. Um, what I'm about to say is something that I kind of knew before seeing any of them. So I think it makes a decent comparison, but when Casino Royale came out, which I think was the first Daniel Craig one. Yeah. There was, it was, it was kind of in a way a reboot of the series, not, not a reboot, but they were saying like, this is essentially his first, um, adventure. So he's not, James Bond yet. And there was some controversy around that because people were saying, well, he's supposed to just like do everything perfectly and be awesome. But in the new movie, he was messing up. He didn't quite know how to do all the stuff he was doing. And they were saying, well, he's, this is a movie about James, about James Bond before he's James Bond. It's about how he becomes who he is. And the, the first Tomb Raider game is kind of like that, where it's like, she, she's all, she's, I mean, a qualified archaeologist and she knows how to rock climb and stuff and she can figure out how to survive, but she hasn't had, this is essentially her first adventure where she gets kind of thrown into things and has to survive. So it's, it's a game about her surviving in a very adverse situation and also getting to the bottom of the mystery of this archaeological thing that she had come to investigate. It sounds cool to me. I, I had seen that a while back and was interested in it. But then when I read about the Laura Croft series of games and saw some of the issues that you talked about earlier, I was unsure if I would want to play that. Yeah. This seems to get past a lot of those pitfalls that the older games had been known for. Yeah. I think when I was a kid, I remember playing a demo version of what I think was, if not the first Lara Croft game, one of the earliest Lara Croft games. And TBH, I don't remember much about it, so I don't know why I brought it up just now. But <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah, really my only complaint at this point is that some of the more cinematic parts have these like jump scare moments where there's like a series of events where you have to hit buttons at a very specific time. And if you don't, you might die like a horribly violent death. So like, uh, there's this part where you're like, you have to go get a backpack that somebody had lost. Um, like you, you found your friend and he needs these antibiotics, but they're in the backpack and these wolves took the backpack or something. And you have to go into the cave and get the backpack. And then as you're coming out of the cave, a wolf like jumps out of a tunnel at you and you have to like hit a series of buttons that pop up on the screen to like kick the wolf and then like punch it and stuff and try to get away. And if you don't do it, then the wolf just like goes at your neck and it's like really horrifying. And is it from a first, <laughs> I kept messing it up. So I had to watch this like, hmm? is it from a first person perspective? Uh, third person third person okay yeah but it's like in this more cinematic part it's like really close up though Mm. so it's like it's um 
was it first person? I feel like it might have been first person for I don't know. It might have gone back and forth. I don't really remember. It was the wolf was definitely like in my face, and then I was just like watching all this blood. Um, so and I had to watch it like six times because I kept messing it up because you had to hit the buttons at like just the right time, and it tells you when to hit the buttons, but you still have to do it correctly. So I was almost wondering if this was like uh, what was that video game? There's a video game that I've always heard about, an older one like Dragon's Quest or something. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. That is a game series. Dragon's Quest. Is that what... Uh, da, da, da. Let me check this. Dragon's Quest? I thought it was like a Japanese RPG series or something. That's not it. Um, It's made by like a guy who did a bunch of cartoons. I know that Curtis knows what this is. Sorry, listen, I know that listener Curtis knows what this is, so I feel like I have to get it right. <laughs> or just let him write in. Mm, I'm trying now I'm trying to find this cartoon that I know the guy made. Don Bluth. Okay. Don Bluth. What was the video game? <laughs> uh Dragon's Lair. Okay. Yeah, Dragon's Lair was this video game that was known for being extremely difficult, but really you just had to know when to press the buttons and like the sequence of events was always exactly the same. It looked really good because it had been done by this guy who did animated movies and he had just, he had animated the video game, but because it was actually animated, like back in the days when you had to actually draw everything, um, it was all pretty, like if you didn't press just the right button, you died. Um, so like you always had to press just the right button at just the right time. I don't think it told you on the screen. I, I haven't actually played it. My assumption was that it didn't tell you on the screen, which button to press, but some people just like learned what to do. Um, I could be completely inaccurate about that. I've never played dragon Slayer, but it's a famous video game. The other people know way more about than me in tomb Raider. It tells you which button to press, but it's still sometimes it's like really quick what you have to do. So downsides, Jump scares that you sometimes have to watch multiple times, which include bloody deaths. And then sometimes it's, I had wondered if Betsy might be interested in the game because it's, it's got almost more like a mystery and puzzle solving element to it. Like you go into a tomb and you have to like solve this big puzzle to figure something out. Um, and there's like a mystery you're trying to get to the bottom of, but there's also all of these men in a cult on the island who are like trying to kill you. And in at least one part of the game, you're like sneaking through this place, trying to escape. And this guy like grabs you. And I, I don't know. It just, I thought Betsy might be interested because it, like I said, mystery puzzles, strong female character. Um, but it has things that I think at least Betsy would not really want to play. Like, I don't think Betsy wants to really, play through these segments of a game where a man is grabbing her and trying to kill her. Like that sounds like the kind of thing she would be like, I worry about that enough when I walk to my car at night that I don't really want to play a game of it. Yeah. That makes sense. If you like going through ancient tombs and doing exploring, may I recommend Assassin's Creed? (laughs) I had been wondering how much like Assassin's Creed it was as I played it. I was, I was playing it and thinking, Matthew's going to kill me for not just playing Assassin's Creed. Well, now this makes me more interested in picking up the thing that's been sitting on my 
that I've had a copy of for a while. So yeah. I might dive in and see if I can provide more analysis at, of how it compares. Okay. So all of this to say, I've got some games on my Xbox or in the box under my Xbox that I might just play through until I know if the next Destiny thing is worth having. So I might let some reviews roll in and then just kind of let my Xbox Live Gold lapse until then. Because, yeah, it's like 60 bucks a year. I don't know why it's not free, but it isn't. Although you need to be careful because I think it, if you got any games that were free that you want to hold on to, I think they go away if you let it lapse. Yeah, I did some research on that. It sounds like I would not be able to play them while it was lapsed, but then if I re-up, then they'll become available to me again. Oh, good. That seemed to be what will happen. I can't guarantee it. None of the free games I have are ones that I'm terribly attached to, so I guess I'll find out. But um, Assassin's Creed Syndicate has a strong female protagonist, and you get to explore tombs under London. Okay. And you get to collect beers from pubs. And it provides tasting notes because they have <laughs> in a sensory input and they are one of the most hilarious pieces of flavor text in games I've played. Anyway. Literally flavor text. It is literally flavor text. <laughs> can I collect cheeses like in Skyrim? There are no, the next best thing you can collect after that is like pressed flowers because that was apparently a big thing in Victorian London. Hmm. Okay. So continuing in the vein of video games recently e3 happened and we got some updates on a game that we're interested in playing in the future anthem i have not uh followed the news for this event uh but i think matthew has so would you mind telling us about it they showed off a lot more of it and it looks like i don't know if it looks revolutionarily different from what you saw in the teaser last week or last year but they when they were putting stuff out and talking about it it sounded very much like they were trying to counterpoint like they wanted to fill kind of a destiny niche but they were trying to almost directly address some criticisms with destiny so they actually had a narrative lead talking and saying like look we want this to be a thing where you can go play it with other people but if you want to just do a single player thing that's totally fine too. And that that's got to be a choice by what the player wants to do. Whereas destiny from the get go has been like, yeah, you know, we just want you to play with other people and sorry if you don't like that. <laughs> um, which I guess they kind of maybe are okay with you doing like the campaign stuff by yourself. But then I would say every other element of the game is designed to ma- around either cooperative or competitive multiplayer. Is that fair? I guess patrol, even patrols to a degree. I don't know. Anyway, so they were deliberately addressing that. Um, They showed off maybe a little bit more info on like the different mech armor things you can have. And they showed more of like what exploration in the open world involves. And there's just, there was a lot of flying. There's, (laughs) It seemed like the people were constantly flying. I'm worried about how much flying there is. Why? Seems like it would make it tough to navigate. It'd be tough to navigate by getting a bird's eye view and seeing the terrain as if you're looking at a map and then 
flying around. I get lost enough in a pretty flat terrain. So if there's suddenly three dimensions for me to locate in, that can get pretty rough. But you could always also shoot up into the air and bypass obstacles, I think is Dustin's point. That wasn't the... I. Okay, so if if I imagine like a destiny map and the ability to just shoot up into the air and circumnavigate obstacles, that sounds good. But looking at the the gameplay areas that we saw in the gameplay trailer for Anthem, that wasn't my impression of things. It seemed more like you must fly through this giant tube and then like go underwater and then fly through the sky and then fly through three other giant tubes that you have to know the right order and then you'll be there. And it's like, wow, that sounds way too complicated. You also were seeing something designed for a demo. So maybe they were trying to purposely show. Maybe. Like environment design and stuff. I don't know. I'd have to almost see how the maps look before you could really comment on it, which you didn't yeah. see that part. I'm um, just, I feel like the fact that the characters can fly around easily means they might be a lot more prone to make the environments more complicated than they need to be navigationally. That could be. Um, so one of the other things too they said was that the that the difference from Destiny is that like the as close as you get to like home base in Destiny is a big public area that you share with everyone else who wants to be there. Um, the Anthem home base is literally going to be instanced to each character. So you have like the story characters there that you can interact with and they'll only interact with you because you're the only player in that area. And it apparently is there. It it's there to preserve and enhance the story elements. So I thought that was an interesting change and it makes sense if Bioware's developing it, that that would be how they're doing it. So it might be more like a town in Skyrim or yeah. Mass Effect rather than the tower in destiny, which has no story. Yeah. Although, Oh, that was something we didn't mention in destiny. They're adding in law in game lore in the fall, which is something they've never done before. What does that even mean though? I think like you could have a grimoire to read in game is okay. Just. Okay. Well, if that means grimoire cards come back, I'm for it. And it might be like stuff that shows up more as you scan things and all that sort of deal. But and collection. I didn't guess we didn't mention collections either, where like everything's going to be collected on your person. You don't have to go to the tower to pull things. So that'd be nice. Yeah. For for in-game lore, I would be fine either with something like the codex in Mass Effect, where it just kind of is your own little uh, Pokedex that you can just reference whenever you want, or something like Skyrim, where you literally collect books and then decide which bookshelf to put them on. I don't think it'll be that, but I would be fine with either one. I would like that Skyrim system. I probably spent more time on that than I would care to admit. Um, <laughs> My library is in Markarth. Um, so anyway, they they showed off just again a lot of the demoy things. It and they announced that Anthem's coming out in February, which is a little weird. But I think that like February and March is when Bioware tends tended to release like Mass Effect games, so that kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know. It's I think it's worth keeping an eye on, but I would also I don't know. I'm cautious about jumping onto anything full enthusiasm at this point. 
Yeah, I guess my thought is why should I drop 70 bucks on Destiny 2 DLC rather than spending 60 bucks on a whole new game? But they also that looks pretty promising. They I would again, I would caution waiting until you see things about like what are their expansions going to be like? What is their yeah. ongoing monetary And oh, and that was another thing. They specifically and I think that had more to do with the whole Star Wars Battlefront thing. They specifically said there are no loot boxes in this that are going to have like random things. They said they'll be the microtransactions they have will be like for purely cosmetic items that have no effect on gameplay. Okay. And that's what they need. They need to just have direct purchase cosmetic stuff that if you people really want it, they can go after it. Yeah. As annoying as the microtransactions are in Destiny, I do give them credit for making it all cosmetic stuff. Except for some ghosts that do kind of affect gameplay a little bit. That's sort of the only exception. Is that right? Is that the only exception? Um, I think that is true. It's even if there are small other small exceptions, it's not a major part of the game. It's it's optional. But both Halo and the Battlefront games, there's just way too much gone with the loot boxes, and it. It really killed the games for me. I have no interest in playing Halo or Battlefront because I don't want to deal with like collecting cards and building like my three card deck for different matches and stuff. It just doesn't, it has no appeal to me. That is kind of the problem that they seem to design some games as if they're like, okay, well, we know people are going to play it for six hours a day. So we have to make sure we have enough content for them not to get bored and write bad reviews about it. And it just, again, works well for the people who have a ton of time to invest in those but then if you casually play games it's just uh, un it's bewildering (laughs) yeah i was going to say that the halo thing didn't have um was cosmetic but then for it's cosmetic except for one mode so and that's not entirely yeah that was not a good system either (laughs) don't do what halo 5 did so Matthew seemed to express some caution. I don't know. I wouldn't say cautious optimism, but maybe cautious optimism regarding Anthem. Um, But kind of waiting to see what other information comes out. And I just want to point out to the listeners that you have exosuits in this, uh, in this game. And it's kind of like a mech game. So really there's, no reason to think that it won't be amazing. <laughs> right, Trevor? Uh, counterpoint. <laughs> it's kind of a mech game, so there's no reason to think it's going to be good. <laughs> it's kind of a what game? A mech game. Oh, I see. Um, The one mech looked... Ba- I, they, you realize they basically mapped to... Wait, how did... Uh, Melissa was saying that when she looked at it, she thought they... It was just like destiny class wise, except that she was saying they split the hunter into two cat, two classes. Are there four classes? Yes. Except I think the, there was one based on speed and she thought that the generic explorer one and the, or whatever, like the one that didn't really specialize and the one that was speed based were ones that were, that felt hunterish to her. Mm. I didn't look that closely. And then there's a big bulky one that's like a Titan and one that had electrical powers that was like a um, storm trance warlock. 
And we all know which one I'm going to be playing. The Hulkbuster one? <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> uh, though I did, I've, I started following the Twitter account for this game. And I saw someone involved with the development saying that you actually play through each class. Like you don't get all of the classes at once as you collect them through gameplay. You get these new mech suits. Um, so it that's good for me, I guess, because I otherwise would just pick one and only play that. And this way I get to get a sense of what all of them are like. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Would you rather have all of them available at the start, or do you appreciate the playthrough? I mean, it's not terribly different from how you... I mean, in Destiny, I technically have all three classes, because I have a, you can have three characters, so... Right, but you get those right from the start. You can get it right from the start, but you still have to go through and play the whole story and level it up and get your this armor so it's kind of kind of the same okay like i understand what you're saying it's that maybe they're saying you are one person who can go through and get multiple suits of armor yeah and that's that was also the sense that i got is in the game you can swap out your suits for the situation like you're not stuck in a class it's not like a race in D where you can't change your race or your class but Hmm. Um, I mean, people yeah. functionally do that in like how they do in Destiny, but that's just like they log in and out of different. Yeah, they have to run three characters and actually keep all three characters leveled up. Yeah. So there is a there is a benefit to be able just to change your hat in game. Yeah. Yeah. And that it seems like it'd be simpler. Although you'd still have to like level up each suit, I guess. But there's still less replaying of stuff like with destiny to keep three characters at full strength you pretty explicitly have to play everything three times over whereas maybe with anthem there would be a way to to keep all your suits powered up but without redoing all the same stuff like in mass effect andromeda you can you just get um experience points and you can spend them however you want I like the, you can change the class at any point too in Andromeda, which is really nice. Okay. People complained about that, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I like that as well. That's nice. So maybe it'll it'll be more like that type of deal where you get the experience points and you can rank up any armor that you want. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, we're kind of light on the details, so it's... They're, they'll probably really start, um, you'll probably see some more in the fall. They'll probably back off around the holiday period because they'll be trying to push whatever games they currently have coming out. And then once you get into January, you'll really start to see a lot of information drop. So I guess I'll have to save some Christmas money. Yep. Again, just worth keeping an ear to the ground because it seems... Like they, it seems like they're cognizant of wanting to occupy a similar space as Destiny and are aware of what they need, what the deficiencies of Destiny are. So addressing that is essentially 
that's always a good position, I feel, for the consumer of a game because it means they're going to be more sensitive to fan feedback, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right now, Bungie feels callous sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And some of the initial reactions to the the stuff that was put out at E3, I saw people saying, uh, congrats, Bioware. I guess you built Destiny. We already have Destiny and we already know it has problems. So why are you even trying? So <laughs> hopefully those uh, completely unperceptive hot takes people had <laughs> will not really be the... Um, the main reaction. They must not have noticed the mech suits. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully once the game is actually out, people will give it a chance instead of just saying, looks kind of like destiny. We know destiny has issues, so we're not even going to try. Yeah. So Yeah. It's like, that's letting too much of your experience with destiny map onto. Yeah. That, I don't know. Yeah. Which and invariably we're going to end up doing if we play it because we'll be like, well, this is how this is interesting how they compare this to it being in Destiny. Yeah. And the problem is like the gameplay, like just using the guns, moving around feels really good in Destiny. So yeah. the whole like third person shooter thing can take a bit to it. Like playing Assassin's Creed, that's what you go into third person. So for the majority of the time. So it was weird if you like to switch back and forth between those but you don't do nearly like you only occasionally do some shooting so it's not too bad but it's the problem is it feels really good but then it's frustrating because they're making mistakes with the story and they're making mistakes with how they're doing dlc and you know i want a video game company that's going to handle that stuff right and also make a really fluid, fun game. It's tough for me to switch back to try to go finish Mass Effect 3 because I feel like I'm walking through mud and the guns don't feel as good. And so maybe that's why I kind of need to take a little break from Destiny to finish some of those games up. Um, Can I recommend Mass Effect Andromeda? Because they, well, I'm going to do that too, but I want to finish Mass Effect 3 first because if I go into a whole new Mass Effect game, I'm going to have a really hard time going back. No, I was just saying that in that they improved mobility quite a bit. Okay, that's that's good. the best part. Feel, and I think they even improved the the combat feel. Quite, I don't okay. know, Dustin. Am I putting? I'm projecting that too much. No, I I liked the mo- mobility improvements. Um, like you can jump. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> And there's sprinting. And dashing. Yeah. So you can you can like jump in the air and dash around if you at least a little bit to avoid fire. It can be nice. Um Okay. Am I wrong? Is there not actually sprinting? There's sprinting. And I okay. think you have unlimited sprint, isn't it? Am I making that up? If you do have sprint, then it's unlimited, yes. Um I liked the combat, but it's been a while. It's been long enough since I've played other Mass Effect games that I don't remember how it differs. But I felt like the combat felt well, felt good. Mm. Well, in that you can, they just let you put points in any ability so you can really custom build what you want. And it felt like the, it felt like they had sunk a lot of their time into making sure the combat was good. I'm just saying if Anthem comes out and they get the story right, and the DLCs feel f- completely non-exploitive of the fan base, 
and the social stuff feels great and I can walk around the town and have people send me to go get the mammoth tusks and I feel helpful. Like they could get all of those things right. And if the game feels sludgy, then it's going to be really frustrating because I want, I want it all. <laughs> I do feel like the environment of like a re-wilderness-y earth for um, Anthem is likely to give us a dinosaur or a dinosaur analog, which is something that um, Destiny is lacking. Well, I was just referring to Skyrim with people sending me to get them mammoth tusks. Oh, I see. But um, I would certainly not complain about what you're saying. <laughs> there are walkers in Anthem, which are almost oh, like... Oh, yeah. I forgot uh, about that. I saw, another I reason saw why that in a, it's sure to be an amazing game. Well, like there's AT-ATs in this. No yeah, it, it's almost like a kind of like an AT-AT, but it looks it has more of like an industrial loader look to it. Um, which is to say, it looks something like humanity of now would build than like something that the Galactic Empire would build. Um, I don't know if I'm describing that well, but it would be kind of awesome to like see one of those fight a dinosaur. <laughs> Maybe we all just need to play Ark Survival. <laughs> I feel like we wouldn't be able to play it. Why? Because like, can't your dinosaurs be stolen and killed by other players? Unless we like played on a, if you can set up a private server, I don't know. If that yeah. Happens. When I, when I was talking about, um, Ark, when it first was available to play, I was talking about it with somebody and he said, I got an, army of dodo birds and I was really excited about where things were headed and then some jerk Carnotaurus came and ate them all and I thought yeah that sounds about right you'd have to like figure out the way to build an impenetrable fortress to make your prehistoric army safe yeah it's I played the demo for a little bit it's a tough game like the interface is really arcane it definitely even on Xbox it definitely felt like a PC game because there's just like so many menus with tiny little text and like you have to know like what kind of berries to collect and it just it was really involved and i was trying to figure i think i had like finally figured out how to like make a stick or something and (laughs) (laughs) i understand what you mean but it was yeah just a funny sentence (laughs) yeah like i had figured out how to craft like the most basic thing possible and then i got killed by a carnotaurus dang carnotauri yeah and I was like, uh, if I can't even figure out how to like connect a rock to the end of a stick or something before the Carnotaurus shows up, so I can at least like hit him on the nose, then I don't know if I can handle this. I mean, the concept seems so great. I just want it to be like as accessible as something like Destiny. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's less than that. Yeah. Um, if we're finished with Anthem, I was going to briefly bring up um that they announced a because i guess we've talked about it enough that it was it's worth mentioning they announced a sequel of sorts to um assassin's creed origins but it is set 400 years before it <laughs> origins origins um yeah there were lots of people bringing up those points, assassin's but it's, creed origins or or <laughs> kind of some of the stuff they had going on in origins made it feel like the next logical step was going to be a game set. I probably in Greece, but maybe in Rome. Um, and it's going to be set in Greece in the middle of the Pel- Peloponnesian war. Hmm. 
Nice. Where apparently you get to, I don't know how this plays out because it would be a major story shift, I would think, one way or the other. But apparently you side with either essentially Athens or Sparta in that war. Um, and you then follow through with that. So it's kind of interesting because that's another period. Like you've seen Greek, definitely Greek elements explored in games, but I don't know if you've ever seen a one that you probably have, but maybe not one that's going to be as in depth in the specific time period as this will be. So I will definitely play it. So you will probably hear about it. Which side are you going to choose? If you had to pick right now, um, I guess it would depend on how it's presented in the. Um, well, when I history always presents it like Athens is the good guy, so that's what. And then, like Athens is the paragon versus renegade choice of being Sparta, which I don't know. That's, I maybe let's see. I Assassin's Creed is good at like delving into it's not like especially in the more recent games, it's not strictly a good versus bad thing. So I feel like they would try to point out the pluses or minuses and it would probably hinge on the presentation you know how when we were playing halo reach and we noted that all the people that used the skull scratched helmet were kind of tools yes i bet those same people will choose sparta well probably just because they're (laughs) going to hear this is sparta and go with that and again, that's why I would want to go with Athens, but they might show that the people in Athens are jerks before yeah. you get to that. So I don't know. It depends. I would lean towards Athens. So how long is it before I can get Assassin's Creed Origins for 20 bucks? <laughs> um, roughly speaking, probably on sale after the next game comes out. So like you'll probably be able to find Origins on sale for 20 bucks uh around Thanksgiving. Okay. Cuz I'm really interested in just playing old games and getting way more <laughs> for my money. Um if it makes you feel better, I've never <laughs> for despite the fact that I play these, I don't think I've ever paid more than $35 for an Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> yeah, Trevor, it's on sale on Amazon for xbox one for 36 dollars um the standard edition disc or download i probably disc being from amazon i could buy it used for 22 i just i don't like using discs anymore it's such a pain it can be a pain is it odyssey is that the name of the the next one yes the new one is odyssey oh and it um it apparently i don't know if it's something it forces you to commit to most it lets you pick between either a male or female character is that new in syndicate you could switch between the two at any point in time but you could that was the first one that had uh, technically the first full console release that had a female protagonist and if you play syndicate there is the correct choice except when it forces you in the story is to play as um eb the female assassin because she's miles better not that I'm prescribing what you should do if you play the game, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> also, she fights with sword canes, which are fun. Sword canes? Sword canes. What is that? A sword that is hidden in a cane. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Now that you say it. <laughs> but then also 
using the cane part to club people as necessary. Good, good. Good. She's one of my favorite um, uh, protagonists throughout the series. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's Odyssey. It looks interesting and they... Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to... They... One of the things that got like super praised when it first came out as a main feature was um, the naval exploration that showed up in Black Flag, which is the one set in the Caribbean in like the 17, uh, like the Pirates of the Caribbean era. And the people really praised the, and it was like, it was a ton of fun to have your own ship and be sailing around to the islands and exploring in that way. So since Greece is essentially a giant archipelago that is going, they're bringing back the naval combat and exploration part so that will be very enjoyable i'm looking forward to that as well that's all i had to say okay um related the i just wanted to say regarding regarding downloads versus discs i bought fallout 4 as a disc and every other game i have on the xbox one is a download and i hardly ever play fallout 4 because I would have to, well, this isn't going to make any sense. I was going to say because I have to switch the disc. But then the question is, what am I switching the disc from if every other game I have is a download? Hmm. Doesn't Betsy watch DVDs in the one? That might be the reason. Yeah. I feel incredibly lazy, but I agree with you in that it's like, oh, if I want to play that game, I have to go get the game and put it in the box and then what, like... And I have to walk three feet towards the TV. <laughs> I have to pull the box out from underneath the TV. Sometimes it does seem to have problems with like reading a disc too. Like not yeah. game breakingly. Like it might just take a little bit or like you have to like eject it and put it back in or something. Yeah. But And you still have to install it. Yeah. On the thing. So it doesn't save no. you any drive space. So. It's totally just a like um it's the only reason it's a feature of that is they don't want people to buy a disc, install the game, and then resell the disc. That's yeah. the only reason they need to have the disc in there. It's basically just if you have the disc, then the license is on the disc instead of on your account. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I'm just a lot more likely to play a game if it's a download. Which is But the problem is silly. the downloads are usually the worst price. Yeah. Exactly. Because the downloads they there's no used market. And they don't have inventory issues. So it's either a far worse price or you have to wait years for it to drop. That was what I was thinking. Is I mean, I just got I Tomb Raider for six bucks. On download? Yeah, I, I just got... Hmm? On download? Yeah, if, on download. Yeah, Tomb Raider was six bucks for a download. It was the definitive edition, whatever that means. I think it had some DLC and might have been remastered or something. But That came out in like 2013. Five years old. Yeah, the five years old, so... <laughs> Wait, you're doing the XKCD strategy where they say that they they experience everything on a five year delay. So, like, I can't remember that. So I can afford it. It basically had it ended with like someone running in, being like, "That was weird," and the person being like, "Guys, the cake is a lie." Like, in this comic, maybe came <laughs> out in like 2010 or something. Yeah. Wait, when did Portal come out? It might have been 04. I don't know. Because I played in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now I have to look. Portal. I got it for pretty cheap, though. I got it for five bucks. 
Oh, no, maybe that was 2012 because it came out in 2007. Okay. But I didn't I didn't even buy the orange box. I got like some special edition of it that was standalone $5 download. The good thing is it was such a cultural force that it was still relevant to play it in 2010. That had to do with the fact that the sequel came out in 2011. Yeah. Or 2011, I guess. I played the first 15 minutes of that and then returned it to the library. I have not finished playing it, but that was, I deeply enjoyed that it had its own campaign and then it had a separate co-op campaign. Yeah. I was was excited about that. I just, I got it from the library, so I had to return it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, were there any other E3 things we wanted to talk about? Um, they announced, I mean, we can make mention since we mentioned it. They made, they, uh, announced that there is going to be a Halo 6 surprising no one. And the only remarkable thing about it was that there were, in the trailer of the new Halo they were on, they had prehistoric rhinos. Yeah. And the, the trailer told you nothing about the game. Oh, no. Other than it maybe occurs on a Halo. And Master Chief is involved, which is no new information whatsoever. So that's why, again, I say prehistoric rhinos are had better not just be set dressing. I want to see the Master Chief riding these prehistoric rhinos. That is exactly where I was going as well. Yeah, I was thinking of warthogs and how they'd be the new warthog, but it doesn't work as well when they're rhinos. Then I was trying to go through different vehicles and see if there was anything that fit. There is a vehicle called a Rhino, but I think it's only in Halo Wars. Mm. (laughs) There's an elephant. Yeah, those were kind of ridiculously slow and not... Wait, were they? Is that my thing in the right thing? I don't know. Yeah, it was basically just a giant platform, some sort of giant weapons platform that it was basically just like a mini environment within the gameplay environment. Yeah. It was, it was just something to make PVP maps. Interesting. (laughs) I'm just imagining someone doing like a sandbox design game and having just like five or six of those scattered about. And it was the game mode was just driving them at each other. (laughs) Chicken. (laughs) They start like five miles apart. I think they only go like one mile per hour. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like you can outrun one. On the oh man. I Back in the, the glory days of Halo Forge, I remember I knew this, I knew these kids who had a lot of fun making PVP maps. And I remember they made one where basically everybody had rocket launchers and gravity was turned all the way up movement speed was turned all the way down and you started at opposite ends of a giant cube. And then you had to just basically whoever could manage to turn towards somebody else and fire the rocket first one. (laughs) And it still went really, really slow. (laughs) It was, it was absurd. (laughs) It sounds like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean they did announce uh, other like things that. Oh, I guess technically we should say that they did officially announce a the sequel next Elder Scrolls, but again it was a like title card that just said Elder Scrolls Six, no information, no release date. So yeah. again, something everybody knew. And then 
they Bethesda did announce they like something that had been rumored for a while, but again, no information, no release date. The a game called Starfield, which is basically going to be a Elder Scrolls but in space sci-fi type thing. Yeah, which sounds like it has potential, but again, I'd have to. I'm guessing both of those at this point are on the next generation systems, probably because the popular, um, the popular sentiment seems to be people thinking we're like somewhere between a year and two years out from the next generation of systems being announced. And I think the some Xbox person did confirm they're working on the next Xbox at this point, which probably means a year or two from now, there is when they will announce them. Which I guess is uh, six or seven years. So I guess that's about as about the normal length of a console generation. Yeah. I hate buying new consoles. I feel like I just bought mine. Same. I don't feel like we've gotten a ton of mile. Like there hasn't been, there haven't been nearly as many like noteworthy games. Is that, that's not the, what am I trying to say? I felt like a lot of stuff came out for the, and granted the 360 was a huge length generation, but it feels like there were a lot of, um, uh, weighty releases and it feels like primarily what has happened on the current generation at least for xboxes has been like remaster releases of games from the 360 and then yeah. like maybe a, a predominantly sequels like not so much new weighty and then a whole bunch of dlc <laughs> yeah it feels kind of like D- like the whole thing has been dlc and loot boxes yeah I watched like five trailers from E3 and I think every single one had an Americana soundtrack. So apparently that's the big trend now. But I hesitate to speculate at reasons why that would be. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Dustin? Um, I was going to ask, do you mean Americana in that it was something you might hear around independence day or no like uh like appalachian music oh Hmm. which if today were like three to five years ago i would say maybe it was like influenced from the hunger games soundtrack but i think it's a little late for that to be the case so i don't i don't know but that seemed to be the trend i mean they were all like the music was all good. It just, I can all but notice mm-hmm. <laughs> that they all seem to be going the same direction. It made sense for the new Fallout game, Fallout 76. <laughs> yeah, it would. Is set in Appalachia. And specifically pulls the year that would be the, I don't, tricentennial? Oh, okay. Oh, it's yeah. actually called Fallout 76. It's actually called Fallout 76, oh, yeah. Okay, I thought you were just making a joke that there's too many. I thought it was a joke when I saw it, too. <laughs> yeah, okay. but no, it's actually called that. And it's supposed to have a lot of multiplayer stuff, which Fallout has never had before. And apparently people can also just like launch nukes at each other's bases. So they announced that they're going to have like this new base building mechanic where you can like build a camp or a settlement and like have your friends come to it and stuff. 
but then also you can launch nukes at other people's camps. So like, why, why would I bother building a camp or a settlement or a fort if somebody's just going to nuke it? It's like the arc problem you mentioned, Matthew. Why would I bother making an army of dinosaurs if somebody else is just going to send their jerk Carnotaurus through? Yeah. And people are like, you have to rely on the goodwill of people in the gaming environment, which you just <laughs> isn't good. <laughs> You're just, uh, it's a long wait on a train. Don't come. <laughs> Very well put. Oh, there's actually, I, I don't really know anything about Fortnite. I've tried playing one game. I hated it. But I heard that Fortnite, maybe it's even happened by now. I remember people were saying, I remember I, I went online and I saw people talking about Fortnite and they said that some event was coming up that was going to usher in the next season or something. And it's some in-game event that's only going to happen once at a specific time. And people online happened. were trying to agree to have like this massive truce so that everybody could be alive in-game to see it happen. But there was also this sad acknowledgement that there would be a bunch of griefers just killing people to ruin their fun. Yep. That was probably the biggest news that came out of E3 was Fortnite related, not unsurprisingly in that they, uh, and it had more to do with the meta um, aspects of the game in a way in that they announced it for the switch and right now, like then it came out that, there was a big scandal because some people who had played on their PlayStation fours wanted to be able to go play the game on their switch and then found out that their accounts were locked on the PlayStation. Yeah. Whereas like if they had played it on like the one and then wanted to go to a switch, they could access the same account. So basically it just turned into this big thing where Sony has blocked. And I think they were already blocking crossplay, but just very clearly like not even blocking crossplay, but blocking um cross progression of the accounts yeah so it made a lot of people very upset and then microsoft and nintendo teamed up to like be doing ads where they were like hey let's play together and stuff like that which was probably savvy marketing on both of their parts as the underdog in the current underdogs in the current console yeah um melee I saw some people even saying they created their Fortnite account on their Xbox and then they played it on a friend's PlayStation one time. And now they were trying oh, to play it on their Switch yeah. and they couldn't do it just because they'd logged in one time on a PlayStation. Yeah, I think I saw that, that like if you've ever done it on a PlayStation, you're just yeah. screwed. Mm-hmm. Which is dumb. Yes. And Which now you can feels- you can create another Fortnite account for free. I think that's my understanding, but these in-game items that people buy or season passes or whatever, well, it's all tied to that one account. It's kind of like destiny currently because there are seasons of content. Mm -hmm. So if you earned a bunch of stuff in like the first couple seasons and it's now a later season, you can't go back and re earn it. Right. So, so there would be reasons to not just switch between accounts. uh, If you're switching involves a PlayStation. Yes. Yeah. I think anything else you can just go, well, I see it with the uh, switching between accounts. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying if with anything else, you could just use the same account. Right. And you could anything. create a new account for free, but you might not want to because you have those items. You'd almost stuff. have to, if you're going to play it across many different things, you'd almost have to have a separate PlayStation account. Yeah. And then an everything else account. Yeah. I'm I'm just explaining why 
the fact that you can create a new account for free is not a fix for it. Right. Yeah, because you're... There is value in that account that may now be locked out. Mm -hmm. Especially since people could have paid for stuff, I think. Yeah. Like cosmetic things. Right. So that's kind of dumb. And it's interest. It It's weird to me that you're starting to see, like, it... At the beginning, at the end of the last generation, Microsoft was in the position of strength, and then they completely misread that and made a bunch of dumb decisions when they launched the X-Bone. And it's weird to see that PlayStation now being in the position of strength is, like, doing mistakes as well. Like, I don't know. they It's like they're overplaying their hand. Yeah. But their online service is still free, so... No, it's not. Not for really? four. Really? For PlayStation 4, you have to pay like an Xbox Live thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd always heard that it was free, but I guess if it changed recently, then... I don't think it's been recent. I think it's been that way for a little while. It was since the 4 came out. Okay. Well, that makes me feel... That's the one they're on, right? PlayStation 4? Yeah. Okay. I think so. That makes me feel slightly less gypped because at least the PlayStation people are suffering in the same way. And to be, to Microsoft's credit, they have run a better network. I don't like saying that. <laughs> there haven't been massive data breaches. PlayStation has had multiple instances of massive data breaches. Yeah. And I think the Xbox might have had an ish. It had a minor one at one point, but it has not had the scale, the multiple instances that the PlayStation has had. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so they're doing something to keep the network decent, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that knock on wood is currently stated. I would not be surprised. I purposely don't have like financial information tie- tied into my account just for just in case. <laughs> in your Xbox Live account, yeah. So you manually enter it every time. I don't. I do everything if it's a purchase through people prepaid cards hmm. which is more hassle but also i don't have to worry about anything but small balances ever being at risk yeah that makes sense i only have it attached to my live.com email address for similar reasons i have no idea if i have information in there or not it's been so long since i've gone on my xbox it's a sad story <laughs> Well, I, I, it's been so long since I've purchased something. I mean, it's not sad. You've been doing that's a things. more accurate statement oh, because okay. I played. Andromeda oh, right, you've recently. been playing Andromeda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyway, I mean, there's lots of other stuff that I guess happened to E3, but that's probably a good enough spot to uh, end. Yeah. I mean, like we're. Yeah. That's probably the stuff we're interested in. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Do 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 no. I mean, you guys aren't interested in Fallout 76 anyway. I don't know if I am. Betsy is strangely interested in Fallout. I still can't figure that one out. She got hooked because of Fallout Shelter because it was a cute phone game. So really, that's a good piece of information to know. If you ever want to get Betsy into a game series, just have a cute, fun thing on the front end, and it doesn't matter what comes after. Yeah. No matter what like horrible mutant creature she runs into, she's just like, I have to find my son. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, she's the only person. <laughs> From what I gather. No one else yeah. tries to find their child. The I think the joke is the opposite. 
in that most people are like, I don't care about my son. Just let me go do whatever. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of the story in Fallout 4, your baby is like yeah. taken from the cryogenic thing. I've you're played the him. beginning. Okay. But she like never let go of that original motivation. And so people try to give her a side quest and she's like, no, I need to find my son. Yeah. <laughs> I need to find John. I understand. Oh, I don't know. I understand like the grading at being like hemmed in because usually in Assassin's Creed games, I'm like, come on, I want to get to the story point where I can do the free exploring (laughs) because I, that's who I, that's how I play games. I like exploring open worlds, which apparently lots of people really hate like with a passion Hmm. and there is a growing disenchant. Like the, some of the people who really disliked Andromeda hated the open world part. And I was like, Oh, Oh, it's more open world. What? It's more open world than the old it's, Mass Effect There's stuff? a lot of... It's more... bears more in line, more similarity to how they did a lot of the more main planets in one. Okay. Okay. So there's not like completely open world, but a lot of the worlds are big open maps you could go explore that... I think there's criticism in some regards that's warranted in that some of it feels like they put in like a lot of fetch quests or something like that, but... I still enjoyed being able to go and explore the environments and enjoy them in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else from E3 and the only other thing that was even on my radar was the last of us too, but I've, I don't actually have any interest in that. That's also PlayStation exclusive, isn't it? Oh, is it? I didn't realize that. Yeah, if we're factoring out PlayStation exclusives, like things that I'm sad about, then we can uh, ignore a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that was PlayStation exclusive. I just heard people say that the gameplay looked really good, and I watched the trailer, and it looked... There was a lot of like neck-stabbing and stuff, which is not really my speed, so nope. But I had a good Appalachian soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> You can find the show notes for this episode at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 39. You can find us on Twitter at betterworldsnet. And you can join our Slack group at slack.betterworlds.net. Thanks for listening. Go then. Go then.